You are tuning into Immuno-Oncology Talks, the podcast about immunotherapy treatments for cancer and hematological malignancies. Welcome to our podcast, Immuno-Oncology Talks. I'm Ariste Fernandez from the Oncology Medical Department of Sanofi North Europe. And together with me in the studio today, I have my colleague, Ben Schroen. But most importantly, uh, we are here with our guest, Professor Jerome Ras from the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Transplantation in Leuven, Belgium. Professor Ras uh, will help us to shed light in the latest findings and connection between the microbiome and immunotherapy in cancer. Professor Ras has established a world-leading lab where they combine large-scale next-generation sequencing with novel computational approaches to investigate the function and variability of the healthy human microbiome and to study and compare this with alterations in different various diseases. So once again, welcome, Jerome, and very happy to have you with us in the studio today. Happy to be here. So let's start with uh, with our first question. We usually start off uh, with some simple questions to, to get the audience with us. So how would you define the microbiome? What is what is it comprised of? So it's already it starts in the term. We, we all talk about the microbiome, but the, the correct term is the microbiota. Yeah, the microbiota are is a collection of organisms that live on and in our, our body. Uh, all the bacteria, archaea, but also fungi and viruses, uh, even even small celled, uh, single celled eukaryotes are part of the microbiota. The microbiome, as we call it, actually means their collective genome. Yeah, we've learned about the microbiota through metagenomic sequencing. And so by sequencing all the genomes of all these organisms, we can learn a lot about the functioning. And the microbiome is that is that combined genome. The largest concentration of bacteria or microorganisms can be found in the intestinal tract. So this is where the biggest biomass of bacteria can be found. We find that most concentrated in the lower ileum and, and especially the colon. There we can find uh, about half a kilo to, to maybe a kilo, the, the number is still uh, out there, but uh, of, of microbes. And so this is, this is more or less the mass of a, of a small organ. And so that's why often the microbiota is referred to as an additional organ uh, in our body. So what is the role then of the, of the gut microbiota? So the microbiota is 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 very important in our in our general health. Uh, they, they help us with digesting our food. They produce a number of important metabolites that we cannot produce ourselves. For example, certain vitamins, but also they help in our in our immunology. They they form first layer of protection against invading bacteria or or other species, and they help uh, train our immune system in the in the early in the early life phase. So it is the generally speaking. The, the microbiota is very important of maintaining good health um, um, in, throughout our lives. Now, specifically, as this podcast is about cancer, specifically for cancer, uh, the, the microbiota is also found to be very important. And, and it has both local effects and, and more distal effects. Um, so the microbiota often uh, always resides at, at barrier sites. So at these barrier sites, for example, the intestinal tract, the, the, the interaction with, with 
tumors that we that we for example find there that happens through systems where the microbiota can produce carcinogenic compounds and therefore promote tumor growth or they can promote local inflammation but there's also distal interactions and the, the distal interaction can happen through bacteria translocating and traveling to more distant uh, tumor sites and then having effects there but it also uh, can you can have more indirect effects where uh, drugs are being uh, metabolized in the intestinal tract that are supposed to be working on tumors that are most, much more distally uh, located so a growing body of of evidence links the microbiota today to cancer diagnosis or causality and yeah can you tell us more about this this link so there's a lot of research ongoing eh? and 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 a lot of activities in various cancer fields there's most is known i think at the moment about colon cancer for the obvious reasons uh, what's coming out of the of the current meta analysis is that there's a a number of bacteria or bacterial groups uh, to be more precise that are linked to cancer development or, or or at least associated to cancer. And so in, in, in CRC, these are groups called Fusobacterium, Parvimonas, Porphyromonas, and, and these are targets that seem to be replicating in multiple in multiple studies. With regard to causality, there I think Fusobacterium, Nucleatum, is, is a bacterium that is named most often. And, and there there's, there's even evidence, for example, in mouse studies where giving the bacteria to, to mouse uh, in, in, in tumor models uh, can lead to tumorogenesis. So there is, there is some causality already starting. I don't think we know all the specific mechanisms, although advances are being made there as well, uh, but, it, but it's starting. So you mentioned uh, several species now, and how far are we in developing specific clinical tests for the presence and abundance of those indicative species? Yeah, that's a very good question eh? because associations is one thing, but uh, but a clinical test is is, is something else. Eh? Um, there have been studies that that where people have made signatures of these species and other species, and and in those studies they they showed that they could, for example, even outperform classic fecal occult blood tests and things like that. So so there is clearly a promise that these things can be diagnostic. However, using, I mean, again, this is, these are studies that are done in then one specific population, sometimes replicated, but then again, rolling this out as a diagnostic test means that you need to make this work in all possible populations, taking into account host genetics, taking into account lifestyle factors, environmental factors. And because all of these factors affect the microbiota composition, it is it, it complicates the diagnostics. And so I think there's, there's, there's promise, but I'd also think that, uh, that more work needs to be done. Have these types of, of yeah, correlations been seen also... Um in, in other cancers, uh, despite the the yeah the colorectal cancer field, yeah, obviously, yeah. I mean, I, I I speak mostly about CRC because that's where the bulk of work has been done. But the, there's not a, a week that passes where you can't find a paper appearing of uh, the nature bacterium X is associated with cancer Y. A nice example is, for example, that specific oral bacteria are, have been linked to uh, lower head and neck squamous cell cancer uh, risk. And that's just one example, right? I think we just need to be a little bit more careful in, in other body sites because there we're really only at the beginning, right? The, the studies are still 
quite small, have not always been replicated. The, the microbiota field of, let's say, non-gut areas is less developed. So the, also their standards need to be implemented. So again, lots of promise, lots of excitement. I think we, we just need to be aware that we're still in the, in the early phase. A very interesting area is also that of the tumor microbiome. So this, this, maybe most of the samplings that I'm talking about until now are fecal samples or, or perhaps blood samples uh, that are being analyzed. But what we see more and more is also that we, we find evidence for bacteria residing in tumors and, and, and there affecting the, the tumor uh, microenvironment. Uh, and this is in primary tumors, but also in metastatic tumors. And so there's also a lot of excitement there not only in diagnostics, but also, for example, in in in, in real targets and, and mechanisms, obviously. At the same time, I'm sorry, I have to be careful again, because uh, there is a big risk with, with these samples. Usually, these are very uh, low, what we then call low biomass samples. So, you have a you have a big tumor, but a very small bacterium, and so the so the the chance the chance there of of contamination is very real. So, all the observations that are being made. People are very excited about that. We find evidence for bacteria in these tumors, but at the same time, this is so, so sensitive for false observations. Therefore, again, more work, more replication, more validation. I, I keep on saying the same thing, but this is so, so important. I think it's it's so interesting you, you mentioned then um, so moving from the diagnosis to actually the the effect of the microbiota in in the tumor. So if we look more than on the immunotherapy, what is known so far about the uh, the interaction of the microbiota and immunotherapy? Yeah, so we we know for quite a while now that the, the human microbiota interacts intensely with both innate and adaptive immune system right and it happens systemically and it happens at the the barriers uh, at which we can we can find the the bacteria so so from a from a theoretical perspective it is very obvious that that the the bacteria or the or the, the microbiota I should be a bit more general would interfere or would have a role in 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 immunotherapy response and then still, at the same time, I, I, I still remember the, when the first papers uh, uh, appeared about how the microbiota could be involved in, in, in immunotherapy response, the field exploded. Eh? There was a, an enormous excitement and, 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 a, and a roller coaster train started that has not stopped until now. So, I mean, you mentioned now that the microbiota is linked to the, uh, to the response of immunotherapy. Could you elaborate a bit more around that? Yeah, I, I I really think that the microbiota is involved in this process. In in the microbiome field, often one how should I say trick is if antibiotics has an effect in something, it usually means the microbiota is involved somehow, uh, and and that's what we also see in this in this area. So early studies in mice showed, for example, that that if you would treat these mice with antibiotics, it would affect adoptive T-cell therapy response. And it was interesting that if you had different types of antibiotics affecting, for example, only gram-positive or only gram-negative bacteria, then the response was different. So showing that there was something with the compositionality that played there, some some specific bacteria were involved. And we also see, saw the same in human afterwards, in, in, in lung cancer, kidney cancer, bladder cancer. We saw effects that, that antibiotics, when given at the moment of treatment or just before treatment, we saw an effect 
of the outcome of, of, the, of the study. And if you see things like that, that often means the microbiota is involved. Now, people have gone further than that and then started to dig deeper and, and more and more evidence now shows that the, the, it's in fact the, the specific composition of the gut microbiota that can make the difference between a response or a non-response as well as effects on uh, immune-related adverse events. I mean, this is really fascinating. So, so you're saying that there is a clear uh, association between the composition uh, of the microbiota then and the response to uh, immunocheckpoint blockade. Uh, but what about the precise composition? You know, what, what is the most beneficial microbiota um, and so on? Has, has this been fully defined yet or what are the challenges to identify this? So... There's there's more and more evidence piling up, let's say, and 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 although again we're still early days and whatnot, the the there are some trends that are appearing. So if we if we look across many studies, so for example, if you if you look at uh, anti PD one therapy, we we see that most of the time, if you see a positive response to therapy. This happens in people who have a healthy barrier, who have plenty of anti-inflammatory beneficial bacteria. So the, the, the classics there are Firmicutes, the Bifidobacteria, Ackermansia, and those types of bacteria. On the, on the flip side, bacteria that, are, that are, have been associated to a poor response to this therapy, they come from, from groups which are the, the Bacteroidetes and the Proteobacteria. Now, Bacteroidetes and Proteobacteria are not per definition, bad bacteria. But in those groups, we do find bacterial species that tend to be a little bit more pro-inflammatory. They are also, they, they are the LPS-bearing bacteria. They, they, trigger our, they trigger the immune system. And so what we're seeing is that if, if you have immune dampening or sustaining uh, ecosystems in your gut, it seems to be more linked to a to a positive response, and if you have more triggering uh, uh, bacteria, then it seems to be linked to a to a poor response. So that's these are patterns that are emerging at the, at the moment. Another another marker that was mentioned early on was the was the diversity. So the biodiversity of the gut. It is a marker that is often used uh, because it's it's so intuitive, right? If you if you have a healthy, diverse microbiota, then then everything must be fine. But the, the difficulty is that that marker is also very broad and imprecise. The quality of your microbiota is not just its biodiversity, it's also which bacteria are there. And so the, what we see is that, that, that although the diversity was mentioned in the early days, it was difficult to replicate. We did not see it in, 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 in all studies. And I think that is, is, is linked to the fact that it's a bit coarse and the fact that it's something that is also uh, linked to many other factors like lifestyle, diet, etc., etc. This, this actually comes down to a, a pattern that we see more often in general. In an early stage of, 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 of a field, there's still, there's many studies. People are very excited and, and study one says A and study C, B says B and et cetera. And, 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 and that's a process that needs to happen. And, and then you need some time, right? You need some time for, to fight, to figure out what are the emerging signals across all of these studies. And there is, there is still a lot of discordance, right? So I, I've given you a, a general summary 
of what the overall pattern is, but that overall pattern, that's not good enough for diagnostics or prognostics, right? You cannot, you cannot develop a therapy based on, yeah, there's more inflammatory or less inflammatory. It's too vague. You need something more precise. And so, and, and for that to work, I think we need to go in more detail. We need to go to more specific markers, more precise taxonomic resolution to species or even strain level to be able to develop kits that, that can help physicians to, to decide on, on treatment regimes and, and, and things like that. So again, I'm, it's something, it'll come, right? It's just, it's just more work, it's, 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 it'll come. If possible, could you give us one specific example or specific examples, if, if possible, of, of microbiota affecting the immune-related adverse events and yeah, they're linked to specific cancers? Or has this been seen for yeah several types where immune checkpoint blockade is used? Yeah, people people have observed that, for example, in in lung cancer, um, that antibiotics treatment here we go again antibiotic uh, was linked to reduced immune related adverse events. So again, you use antibiotics, you have an effect on the microbiota, and you there's your evidence, right? You see that uh, that uh, that that uh, also adverse events can be can be affected, and and here the bacteroiditis. So the, we've had them before. They're they, they're actually a, a particularly interesting case here because the the abundance of specific species of bacteroiditis is linked to. The resistance of, of developing colitis in melanoma patients. So colitis is, is a typical uh, immune-related adverse event. And that happens both in anti-PD-1 as in anti-CTLA-4 treatment. But at the same time, in the combined therapy, we see that one specific species, Bacteroides intestinalis, it is linked to increased colitis. So within one phylum, you have patterns that go for and against the development of uh, of these adverse events. And that's the complexity of the story. And that's why we need to go into the detail. And that's why we need to go to that lower taxonomic resolution, because at that higher resolution, you you, you see an amalgam of, of, of signals altogether, but you don't see the real causal patterns. And 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 I, yeah, that's that needs to be solved first. In line with that, I saw somewhere that uh, the bacteria uh, associated with, with response to either anti-PD-1 or uh, PDL one check blockade may differ from those associated with anti-CTLA-4 that you mentioned now. Do we know why and what approach could one use to explore this more in detail? Which strains are more beneficial for what treatment, etc.? Yeah. So also here, there's a bit of a, a bias. There's much more work done on anti-PD-1 than on CTLA-4. I think, again, we, we're, we're, we're still in this, in this resolution problem. We could expand on all the different species, but I think I've bombarded you with a lot of names already. But uh, what, what I think is, is important is, is really to work on that, on that resolution part. I think we need to get to the species level. We need to get to the strain level of these patterns. And there's, there's many techniques that we can use for that. And so one of those techniques is called shotgun metagenomics. So in the, in, in, in the field, people have been using 16S amplicon sequencing. So the, where we, where we're looking at a specific part of the ribosomal RNA to make our species profiles. But that only has a certain resolution. You can get to somewhat species level with that. But 
you you want if you, especially if you're interested in mechanisms you want you want to, to go deeper with that and and for that the technique of of shotgun sequencing where you don't re- restrict yourself to a, f- uh, a specific marker but you 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 sequence all of the dna of all of the bacteria at once is going to be useful now that's for mechanistic understanding sometimes a marker at a higher phylogenetic level at a genus level or even a phylum level can be useful Right, a diagnostic is a diagnostic. If it, it doesn't matter what that is, if if your shoe color is important for the diagnosing treatment response, then fine, as long as it works and it replicates. It, it, there doesn't need to be, per se, a a true causal uh, association, but it's it's preferred. Eh? To <laughs> let's let's be honest. But again, as long as a diagnostic is is usable, uh, robust generalizable then then it's fine but if you want to go to mechanistic understanding drug development or improvement of treatment or co-treatments or something like that we need to go to the to the strain level i think so looking at the individual strains and and the diagnostic method how can one clinically modulate the microbiome in patients to improve uh, the responsiveness yeah, that's of course the million dollar question. Eh? We, if we if we have our target, be it a strain or or something else, we have various options to modulate the microbiota. Um, and and choosing between these options will also be a very important task. So you can you can do a milder intervention on the microbiota, for example, using dietary interventions or or pre or probiotic interventions. If you if you want to be a bit more radical, then techniques such as as, as fecal microbiota transplantations uh, are, are being used. You can have techniques that are broader, as as the ones that I mentioned. You can have techniques that are very precise. So phage therapy, for example, can be used to to knock out very very specific strains of bacteria, but they are then limited by the fact that they're actually extremely specific. So if the if the signal is a bit broader than that, you you will not be able to to work with that. So it's going to depend very much on what the exact problem is on. Uh, which technique we are going to be using for for intervening. Now, what we also see in the microbiota field, in the early phase of of a field, we often use fecal microbiota transplant as a technique. And the reason why we use it is like, yeah, it's a sledgehammer. Eh? You you just take the, an, a completely different microbiota, you you bring it into a patient, you have a very radical effect on the, on the microbiota and you shift it completely. And that is often used to prove the effect, to prove if we, if we hit it hard, do we see a phenotype, right? And that's and that's what you see at the moment. There's over 35 trials that are ongoing at the moment in this response, and and the large majority of them are, are FMTs. And the reason why that is the case is that because not only they give us a sledgehammer to 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 prove an effect and to to do something radical, but also it's something we can use to learn because studying the results of these FMTs also allow us to identify which are the bacteria that are associated to the success. And it's for those reasons that I'm personally very excited about these types of uh, studies because they're not only clinically important, they are also a learning tool for the for us, the microbiologists. Okay, could you maybe yeah, give one example in the cancer field of this? 
Yeah, I mean, it's still early days. Uh, one one example is that, for example, in, in, in lung cancer, there were patients that had been treated with probiotics concurrently with the immunotherapy, and those had a, a, a longer progression-free survival uh, compared to those without the probiotics. And it, it's a difference be- between... 250 and and a bit over 100 days of of uh, survival so that's that's quite long yeah thank you so I must say it's been super fascinating to hear about this field and how it's uh, evolving quite rapidly but finally how how uh, do you foresee the development and the role of the microbiome or the microbiota in cancer and cancer immunotherapy in the near future yeah Again, don't get me wrong. Eh? I'm extremely excited about this area. I think there's a lot, a lot that that's going to come out of this, uh, and and I think the the most important step forward is is mechanistic insight. I mean, diagnostics, obviously, but we need to understand what's going on. I think that's the most the most important thing. And given the roller coaster of the field, I think that's what we'll be seeing in the next five years. We will be People will be publishing very specific mechanisms, understanding why specific bacteria are linked to the response of a specific treatment and, and how treatments are different between different individuals and why, again, why that is, what are the mechanisms, here, what are the pathways playing here? And and this will lead to, to, I think, a lot of activity in pharma developing molecules and drugs affecting truly these, these, these specific pathways. And then at the same time, I think in the, for example, in the in the diagnostic area or the prognostic area, I think if you use more precise, more strain-resolved approaches, more quantitative approaches in the in the microbiome area, and really finding ways to deal with that with that natural variability of the microbiota, all these compounders, all the effects of diet, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, um, and and being able to tackle that, I think will also lead to development of of very strong and and robust diagnostic and or prognostic markers and panels that we can that we can use in clinical practice and so because the 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 ultimate aim here uh, remains improving the response rates right and 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 seeing which patients benefit what therapy uh, the most and i think that's that's what we should be going for and i think that's what everybody's going for so that we can have prognostic tests that we can have a personalized approach for for each patient and perhaps also introduce uh, co-therapy that we have our our immunotherapy targeting the, the 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 tumor but at the same time also help and support our micro- microbiota to increase uh, the response rate yeah, let me say maybe a final thing before we close. Last week, uh, I was at uh, the, the annual ASCO Congress in the US, in Chicago. And um, even there, we had a, a super nice session about the microbiome in cancer. So let's conclude by saying that there's a lot of promise eh, in the microbiome field, uh, that there's still eh, some way to go. But let's say that the medical and scientific field is is following this all yeah, in detail. And let's see what... Uh, what comes out of this in the in the future. Nicely put. Thank you. And that concludes this episode of the Immuno-Oncology Talks from Sanofi. And I would like to thank uh, Professor Ras for uh, nice discussions and for taking the time to share his vast knowledge and uh, expertise uh, with us. And thank you all for listening in. 
Thank you for tuning in to Immuno-Oncology Talks, the podcast about immunotherapy treatments for cancer and hematological malignancies.